Welcome to Synapse's Brain Bank podcast, a place for people and families impacted by brain injury to share their stories and connect with specialists from the field. Join our host, Dr. Zara Whedon, as we hear from everyday Australians and tap into advice and resources to help you on your brain injury path. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I have the great pleasure of talking to Kathy Walls, a social worker who specialises in working with people impacted by brain injury. Hi Kathy. Well, hi Sarah, and thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. I work with carers who are caring for someone with a brain injury. So I'm employed by Interrelate and we work in two different roles there with the Disability Royal Commission and that enables me to work with carers and who are caring for a loved one with a brain injury. That sounds good, a very important role. Cathy, what are some of the key issues that carers are dealing with? Okay, some of the key issues are due to the demand of their caring role, they're often putting the needs of their loved ones or others before their own. So it's very easy for them to suffer from burnout and it's very easy for them to be carrying a lot of extra load and extra responsibilities. And I think it's also very easy for, due to the demand and the stress of their caring role, it's very easy sometimes for them to become isolated and feel separated and maybe not even understood by family and friends. So part of our role and working with Synapse, with Interrelate and Synapse, is to support the carers and we can provide free counselling and free support. But we also partner with uh, Synapse in the Western region and provide education sessions as well. And just recently we were really blessed to be able to work with Synapse and Interrelate and provide a retreat for carers. And the whole idea of that retreat was to give carers a break from their caring responsibilities and their day-to-day routine. Give them time to come away with other carers who are also experiencing similar things, who perhaps understood their journey a little bit more than the average person would. And to wrap that around with not only time out, not only understanding, not only a break in a peaceful location, but also some education that Interrelate was able to provide. That sounds like a fantastic resource. As well as the responsibilities for the caring role, what would you say the impact of brain injury is on the relationship itself? Well, the whole dynamic of the relationship can change. So Mm -hmm. where people have been in set roles and set responsibilities, those roles are thrown into confusion. Mm-hmm. And often with brain injury, there's not a certainty about the level of recovery. And the carer often has to pick up a lot of the roles that perhaps their husband or wife mm-hmm. um, were fulfilling prior to the accident or whatever resulted in the brain injury. Yeah, so the whole dynamics is like uh, reacquainting and getting to know that person again, but in a different sense where your roles have significantly altered. Yeah. Cathy, for the term ambiguous loss, could you tell us what that means? 
Michelle. So it was coined by a woman called Pauline Boss. And ambiguous loss is a loss that occurs without closure or a clear understanding. And this kind of loss can leave a person searching for answers mm-hmm. and can complicate complicate and delay the process of grieving. And Pauline Boss talks about ambiguous loss in two different types of ways. So the first type is when somebody is physically present but mm-hmm. psychologically absent. And this can occur through mental illness or dementia or through a brain injury. Mm-hmm. And so because the, the relationship has changed, the future can be unclear, there's new stresses and it's a new journey, it can be often very uncertain and unclear how to navigate that journey. The other type of ambiguous loss is when someone is physically absent Mm -hmm. but there's been no confirmation of death, like in war Mm -hmm. or when somebody's kidnapped or a tsunami or a major disaster where that person it's not clear whether they're dead or alive or what's happened to them. So that person's living in a state of unresolved grief mm. with some hope that they might still be alive or there might still be hope, but at the same time trying to face the perhaps likelihood that that might not be true as well. So it's not clear cut. Yeah. In terms of brain injury, how does that play out for families? In terms of brain injury, it plays out in terms of the uncertainty. Uh, because the future is not clear and the recovery pathway is also not clear. Mm-hmm. So sometimes dreams and goals for the future or planned events like holidays, they might have to be put on hold mm-hmm. or they may have to be changed. The level of support that the loved one may require is also unclear mm-hmm. because the, there's so many unanswered questions about the recovery process. There's also that perhaps that fear and that anxiety about the demands on the carer and whether they're going to be able to cope yeah. uh, with those demands and whether they're equipped to cope with that demand, those demands as well. Our big thing two people talk about is not feeling understood by family and friends yeah. and um, people perhaps because they've never experienced a brain injury or been connected with someone who has. They can make a lot of assumptions as well or could be judgmental or, you Mm -hmm. know, think that the person's doing a lot better than what they really are. And that's why support networks are so important and peer support groups and talking with other people who, if you like, are walking in your shoes to Mm -hmm. some degree and understand the journey you're on. Cathy, talk to us about grief because it's something that affects so many people yet many don't feel comfortable expressing it. That's perfectly normal. There's nothing wrong. There is no right way to grieve. And I think the understanding now is that just as each one of us is unique, our own grieving process and how we adapt to loss and grief or change will be unique as we are. And it's not worrying if you're still at a certain point and, um, you know, you may not be experiencing grief as others as well. So I think when we're going through loss and grief, it's knowing that that journey is uniquely ours 
Mm-hmm. It's not beating up on ourselves if we're not, we think we should be over it by now or we should be at some point. It's just holding and accepting ourselves at the stage we're at, at that point. I've also heard people talk about the importance of hope and meaning. Can you give us any practical insights around that? Sure. I'll refer to a fellow called Charles Cinder, who was an American psychologist. Mm -hmm. And he specialised in positive psychology. And he actually developed a theory of hope. And he said that hope consists of both mental and emotional elements. Mm -hmm. And it includes having free choice to set goals and then taking action. And what he meant was the more we're able to set a goal and break it down into small achievable steps Mm -hmm. and actually take action in achieving our goals, hope begins to build in a person's life. So the theory of hope isn't some complex, difficult concept. It's actually the more self-efficacy or the more control that we feel that we have over any part of our life, we may have lost control in certain areas, but if we can feel that we have some sense of control over another area of our life and break set goals and break that down into small steps and actually take those steps, then that feeling and that emotion of hope can be built. And... He talks about, too, how, like, people even... The steps don't have to be big steps. So even somebody who hasn't been able to go outside, it might be an elderly person who has been unwell. So if they set the goal to go back out and to start gardening and to break down the steps, like they'll go and purchase the products they need to repot a plant or whatever... And they go and actually buy that and set an afternoon aside and do that. By actually taking those small steps of action, hope and that feeling of gaining some control back of their life, over their life, begins to build hope again. Okay. How important are relationships with other people? Yeah, they're they're vital, Zara. Mm -hmm. Human connection builds hope. We know that from lots of different research into lots of different studies. So a very important key to holding on to hope is human connection. Mm -hmm. And in the face of emotional pain and loss, it can often be another person who stirs us and encourages us Mm -hmm. uh, to hold on to hope. And I'll just add the Holocaust survivor, Ellie Weasel, Mm -hmm. said just as despair can come through other human beings, hope too can also be given to us by other human beings. They can give us the courage to keep working, to keep connecting, to keep believing and to keep moving forward. And David Kessler also talks about another concept which I really like, which is sometimes we need somebody to hold on to hope for us because the stage of loss or the stage of grief that we're in, we can't see much hope for ourselves. And that's where the power of human love and connection supports us and comes in again where other people can hold on to hope 
that life will improve, that things will change and that there's hope for our future. We just so need each other. We were never meant to navigate life alone. Yeah. Obviously, at certain points, it's difficult to feel hopeful. But how important is our internal voice? Well, I guess the voices we hear are all very powerful. But the most powerful voice is the voice we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the message we repeat or we tell ourselves. So if we say things like in our mind, like, I'll never get past this. Well, this Mm -hmm. is too hard. And that becomes the focus of our life. Whatever we focus on becomes bigger. So the old saying is, whatever thoughts you water will be the thoughts that grow. So the more that we can build our life around, and this is where the help of other people is so appreciative as well, in focusing on what we still have left, Mm -hmm. on focusing on what our strengths are, on focusing on things in our life that give us pleasure, Mm. that give us enjoyment, perhaps other skills and abilities that we're still able to participate. It may be family, it may be friends, it may be an awareness of the need for new connections. Some people find that like they really connect with nature and that brings a lot of peace to them, a lot of healing to them just being out in nature. So I guess that's probably two messages there, but the, the voices we tell ourselves are extremely important. It's a bit like a magnifying glass. Whatever we put under the microscope will be amplified to us. Mm. So if we can keep our focus on thoughts that are constructive, that are, are building on a, a way forward, on a future, and noticing those things that we still have in our life that we're grateful for, And whilst we may have had certain things be taken away that we no longer can participate, there's always other things that we can become aware of and magnify and engage with and and focus on. That sounds very good, very useful to know. Cathy, I know that some people feel they are wallowing rather than grieving. Do you have advice you can give to people who feel that? Well, David Kessler says, Suffering is inevitable in life Mm -hmm. and we know that's a theme. We all know that just by being a part of the human race. But misery is optional. Mm -hmm. So in other words, pain comes to everyone in some form or another. Again, how much time, how much replay, how much focus we give that, often we do have a choice in that. Now, how much... We, to use your term wallowing, I think this is where it's really helpful to have other people around you as well who can Mm -hmm. support you and um, encourage you. I know when we're at the carers retreat, just observing the carers encouraging each other and they themselves having passed through this journey of caring for a loved one with a brain injury could intuitively recognize when the grieving process and talking about the situation had moved from being useful and supportive and healing into a counterproductive sort of uh, repeat, repeat, repeat. Uh So they were able to just very gently guide each other back towards focusing on more positive 
directions for people's future and positive actions that they could take Mm -hmm. to strengthen themselves and uh, to support themselves while they're on this healing recovery journey. Okay. Kathy, what help could you give to people who are redefining their relationship after brain injury? I think it's always being gentle and kind with yourself Mm -hmm. and with your loved ones. I think expectations are a very big thing that people have of themselves as well as other people. And I think it's adjusting and being willing to adjust expectations. I think the more flexible we can be with each other and with ourselves, the easier the journey becomes because we're in a state of constantly adjusting to a new normal. Mm-hmm. and finding out what works and what doesn't work and what works best and what perhaps might actually trigger a, a negative response. Mm-hmm. So I think just that self-compassion and that compassion where you don't have these really rigid expectations of how things should be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also appreciating the little wins, the small wins, There's a wonderful testimony of a young wife whose husband was in an accident and she talked about making lemonade out of lemons and how in her previous life what was important to her was her career and getting a bigger house and her clothes and her appearance. And Mm -hmm. after the brain injury, all of those values were redefined and re-evaluated and she talked about how just being able to receive a text from her husband where they can understand each other and communicate together. She now celebrates those things. She celebrates the time they have together, which she possibly may have taken for granted in some regards prior to the accident. So it's celebrating the small wins and um, allowing your relationship to be redefined. Yeah, that's it's great to think of appreciating change. Yes. Well, it's been lovely sharing experiences with you, Kathy. Thanks so much for your time today. Great talking with you, Sarah. Thank <laughs> you. And on that note, we'll wrap up this season of Brain Bank. I really hope you found it useful, and I look forward to connecting with you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Brain Bank podcast. Brought to you by Synapse, Australia's peak body for brain injury. Make sure you visit our website, synapse.org.au, where you'll find useful resources and tools to connect you to our brain injury community. And while you're there, please complete the podcast survey. We want to know what you've enjoyed, what's worked for you, and what you think we should cover in the next series. At Synapse, we're creating change for people from all walks of life who have been impacted by brain injury. Remember to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.